Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to my first show of, oh my God, 2022. I cannot believe we are already in 2022, and I'm laughing because my friend Cindy got me this calendar for my desktop calendar for the year, and it says, you're a boss, and I I just thought that was so perfect for today to get that because you know what? We're all the boss of ourselves. And this show hopefully helps you learn how to be a better boss to your staff, better boss to yourself. And today's guest is somebody who I've known for, gosh, I don't even know how long I have known her, but I'm so glad I finally got her on the show. And it took Jenna Shines to finally say, Laura, you know, what about Chris? And I'm like, oh my God, I have to have Chris on the show. She's somebody who I've respected for years and years. And I love the fact that she is um, a woman, a person who, who knows herself. And her goal is, if I think I understand her goal, right? I can only tell her what I see from the outside looking in. Is she wants to make a difference for people in the technology world to make sure that what gets done inside what we call the tech channel builds with community, builds with diversity and inclusion. And we're not just talking the normal versions of inclusion. You know, tech is very much a male dominated field, although I was in it forever. You know, I have a degree in computer science. And the other thing that I love about Chris is she works in the sales side of things, but Beyond that, it's more than the sales. It's about helping people get their messages clear and understanding how the smallest thing you can do can have the largest impact ever. So let's bring Chris onto the show. If I can click the button right, because my finger just didn't want to work. <laughs> Chris Blackman, welcome to the show. It's exciting to have you on here. I mean, you are now the chief channel Chief Channel Officer, I, I have, my tongue is very tied this morning <laughs> because I haven't had enough water um, of JS Group. But beyond that, you've been in the industry in varying roles for several decades now, right? I've been in the tech industry in one way or another for a few decades now. I entered the channel about seven, eight years ago. Okay. Actually, the marketing firm um, in Dallas, Texas, was my first exposure to the channel. And so I managed a whole bunch of B2B accounts there and uh, then moved over to what was then the VAR guy over <laughs> at, uh, to be their editor-in-chief before we merged with Channel Futures. I used to read the VAR guy all the time. I mean... I, I my office had stacks of every physical magazine that you can get. And when you, when I went to trade shows, it was, Oh, I haven't seen that issue. I haven't seen that one. And I just <laughs> grabbed them all and just devour them on the airplanes. And I, I miss magazines. Yeah. It's just not the same trying to flip through something on your iPad, right? There's something very different about holding something in your hands. And you could cut something out. You could post, you know, like for me, I used to post articles in the office for, for my staff to read and I'd make copies of it and send it places. And you can't 
with a lot of the digital stuff nowadays, you can't forward like just a page or an article. You, you have to, somebody has to subscribe and do all that stuff, which is really great and wonderful for the magazines because they get more subscribers, but it makes it harder to um, get that particular piece out unless yeah. you do a screen grab or, or something like that. So, yeah. wow. Bar guy, you took me back, Chris. It was uh, quite interesting coming into the channel as Chris, the bar guy. There was a lot of confusion there when I first <laughs> entered the space. <laughs> so what made you make that leap? So I, at the time, was working for a software company, um, a little niche software company, as their technical writer. And uh, it was just, it was a great company, um, but I'd just kind of gotten to the place where I felt like there was nothing more I could learn there. And so I started looking and then TC Doyle, my first channel mentor really, um, reached out to me about that position and uh, rest is history. I love TC. <laughs> well, he's a great guy. Was it a big switch because going from the side of the technology world that you were in over to the channel portion of it, which is more you're on the vendor side versus you were a journalist, which meant you were um, neutral. So how did that change, you know, work for you? And did you find at any point in time that making that switch from neutral to a side made it difficult? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, when I first really came into the VAR guy um, and I was traveling and meeting with all kinds of partners, um, you know, you, you write on both sides of the spectrum, you write about the vendors and then you write about the partners. But by the right. time I took over the MSP 501 partners were very definitely my favorite. So that was, uh, that was a really serendipitous move for me when I was able to take over that program. And so I spent several years just getting to know partners and their business models and their challenges and their opportunities and getting to know them as people. And so now now at JS Group, um, I work with both sides of the spectrum again, but working with vendors um, is, it's a way for me to put partners top of mind with vendors um, to make sure that they're giving the enablement that they need, that they're giving the sales support that they need, that they're, you know, really zoning in on what's best for their partners' businesses. And that's a message that we try to hammer home over here during our consulting engagements. So that part of it's rewarding for sure. I do a lot of work with Dina Moskowitz's company, Sazmax, and they, yeah, yeah. And part of the com the company that they deal with is called Partner Optimizer and they look at the data around partners and partner relationships and i f i find it interesting what you what you were just saying about you know making sure that the vendors basically do the best they can to enable their partners to succeed which is something that for a long time really didn't happen. You know, I was an MSP way before it was, there was even a term called AS, MSP, right? And I did a lot of services, service enablement and 
recurring contracts and, and all of that stuff. And I had all these vendors that they're like, just sign up with us, just sign up with us, just sign up with us. They didn't even know what we did. They just wanted us to sign up. And I'd be like, why? I'm not even a fit for your products. Or I've got this really fantastic relationship with a different vendor partner does the exact same thing that you do. Why would I jump ship and and go in your experiences from both sides of the relationship, Chris, and that neutral position? What do you think has been one of the biggest challenges in the last couple of years with those partner relationships, you know, between the company that is creating products and services that they want somebody to roll out to their client base. What do you think is the biggest challenges that you're seeing? Well, you know, on the partner side, we've said that um, the channel, being a channel partner is a relationship business for decades. We've said that. Um, And I think that what we're what we're starting to see now is vendors realizing that it's a relationship business for them as well. So a lot of, you know, your tendency, especially when you've got a direct sales force in existence before you go indirect is you're pushing product, right? So you're talking at your customers about your product and that's just not the way that you can run channel. That's not the way that you, you know, can move your services through the channel partner. It's got to be focused on their business. It's got to be helping them position, those products and services to their end customers. You're not selling to the channel partner, you're helping the channel partner sell to those end customers. So we're starting to see some shifts in enablement, the way that vendors look at enablement, the way they look at deepening those um, partner relationships. And that's really gratifying because now we're starting to see channel partners really kind of getting momentum and a certain amount of power that they haven't had historically in those vendor relationships. Yeah, that's and want to welcome Pat Grillo. He's chatting up there that that hasn't changed about relationships and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pat was on my show a year or two ago talking about a vendor relationship that he had had, where they basically not basically they stabbed him in the back and went direct after he built this massive relationship. And then a year or two later, they came back and wanted him to start working with again, saying, "Well, why did?" you leave. Well, you left because you stabbed me in the back and took away millions of dollars of my business. And now you want me back. I mean, so that relationship that's so critical, yet it seems as if with a lot of partners, vendors and partner things, they just feel like, okay, well, here's who's in charge now. We're going to do it our way. We can probably make more money direct, but they sometimes forget that key relationship piece and they're not really tooled up for building that relationship. There, there isn't one, right? They're just selling product, commoditizing product, but yet you're saying that this, the relationship is even more important now, but why does still some companies go, well, we can, we don't need them. It's, they feel like they want them, but they don't want them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they recognize the opportunity of the indirect sales channel, right? They recognize the, um, 
the opportunity and that increased coverage and, you know, being able to move more of their product and services. They recognize the potential there, but they don't realize what, what I've learned through the last little over a year that I've been at JS Group is there's a culture shift that has to happen within that vendor's um, organization. And they have to, from the top down, be very clear about the processes and the systems that you go through in order to eliminate that channel conflict. Look, channel conflict is the number one complaint a lot of times that I get from partners. And when you do things like what you were just talking about, channel partners talk, right? They oh, yeah. They, you'll get a reputation real fast. And then, of course, it's going to be even harder for you to activate that indirect channel. So a lot of people kind of give up before they've even gotten started when the whole thing probably could have been avoided had they just gone at it systematically and very strategically instead of opportunistically. Yeah, one of the things I, I, re I remember a lot from my days of being in the channel was how do you compete against on price, right? Because some vendors would give some partners a better pricing deal. And if they were in my market area, my client would go, well, I can get it for X from this guy, but you're charging me Z. Mm -hmm. And I'd go, well, I'm sorry, that's the best price I can get. If you just want to buy the product, go buy the product from them, but are you going to get the other services? This whole idea of are you, for, for all of my listeners out there, right? Not all of them are in the tech channel. Some of them are brick and mortar. Some of them are just selling services, but at the end, there's still always some sort of exchange of goods and services or whatever it is. Have you seen that a lot of people are still trying or still commoditizing? And if so, what's your thought on that versus competing on value versus I can get 1%, I can pay 1% less through somebody else? Right. I mean, we're always going to have partners that compete on price. We're always going to have these lifestyle partners that aren't looking to really scale and grow. Um, they've got businesses that are putting their kids through college and paying their mortgage and helping them save for retirement. They don't need for you know their strategic direction that they're taking with their business. They don't really need to up their game. But for everybody else, we've been telling partners compete on value, not on price for years now, since I started at the VAR guy. Remember, that was some of you know the first conversations that I was having. And these days, um, it's really you've got to get more into that consultative mindset so that you can, you know, wrap those products and services around a value proposition that is yours and yours alone. And that presents a lot of opportunity for margin. You know, every day those um, vendor products and services get more and more and more commoditized and those margins shrink more and more. And the only way you can offset that is by kind of deep deepening those relationships and making sure that you're offering that value instead of just those products and services on price. MSPs and other partner types oftentimes 
um, are a little insecure about that. They know the tech, right? They know backwards and forwards the tech. But when it comes to having those conversations that make them a really strategic part of their customers' businesses, that's where a lot of them, you know, still need a little bit of learning to do. And uh, so, yeah, competing on price is not a way to rise to the top as a partner for sure. Do you have suggestions on how some of my listeners could maybe begin thinking how they can switch that mindset and the actual implementation from price to value? Yeah, so one of the things that we're going to be focusing on um, really heavily at JS Group for 2022 is the importance of the business reviews, both from the vendors to the partners and the partners to their end customers. When you sit down with your customer for an hour, two hours, and you say, tell me about your business. What are you hoping to do within the next year? What are your strategic goals? What have you got going on in other parts of the business that might not that you might not think directly touch technology? Are you trying to scale into new verticals? Are you trying to integrate some systems? Are you trying to grow your sales force? And where can I plug in to help you with those strategic um, the strategic goals? And so not only does that help you deepen that relationship, it increases your stickiness, and it also helps you up that value proposition that you're offering. It's a fantastic opportunity for upsell and cross-sell, you know, identifying those, um, those opportunities. You know, we all know that it's so much more expensive to get a new customer than to sell to an existing customer. And being able to sit down and really have these conversations with your clients and say, okay, where are you trying to go and how can I help you get there helps you identify those different areas where you know you can plug in and again, deepen that relationship, deepen that upsell, cross-sell opportunity and really help you start competing on value instead of price. I'm trying to figure out the best way to formulate because like three questions hit my brain at one at one moment in time. And I'm like, all right, if I said what was about to come out of my mouth, it would make absolutely no sense. So <laughs> one of the things that you just said around sitting down and doing business reviews, I feel as if it's not done often enough. And now with the world the way it is where offices, there's not, not everybody's in their offices anymore. It seemed like it, it was much easier before where you could sort of walk around and see the interactions of people. And then if you sat down with the business owner or the business leader or your contact inside the company, and you'd say, well, tell me what's going on for your business, what you think is going on for your business, where you'd like to go then I know for me, I, I do this with my clients now, you could, you saw what the actual, the reality was versus what somebody thinks is happening, right? Have you seen that be more difficult with the business reviews? Is there another way of doing them in a world where offices are increasingly remote and, people are changing their business goals quite frequently because they're not sure which way the world is going. So that business review conversation becomes more critical, but it feels like it might be more in flux. 
Well, I think the pandemic really kind of forced partners to start having these more strategic conversations with their clients. And you're, you're forced all, all of a sudden, all at once to change your work configurations, to change your security measures, to you know, equip your, uh, your workforce to be able to work remotely. And uh, so those, it kind of forced those conversations, right? What is it that you need? Do you need, um, you know, video conferences for 50 people? Are you more a one-on-one? Do you have people tapping into systems from home that need additional security measures? And why do you have that? You know, it's, it's really was an opportunity for partners to identify those additional areas that they could plug in. And again, the pandemic kind of forced those conversations, right? So a lot of partners, a lot of organizations, period, kind of scrambled at the beginning of the pandemic to just get provisioned as quickly as possible. But as time has gone on and they figured out, you know, okay, maybe there's a different system or a you know, different platform, a different software that could work for us. Here's some snags that we've been running into. Here's, you know, some new compliance regulations that we've got to adhere to. Um, then all of a sudden those conversations with partners become even more imperative. And so in a lot of cases, it's not even the partner initiating those business reviews. It's the customer saying, things have changed in my business. Let's sit down and talk about how you can help me. And uh, so I think, you know, if partners have been having that type of conversations with their partners of the last, with their customers over the last couple of years, uh, God, can you believe this has been going on for two years now? No, I can't. Oh, God. Um, you know, if they can take the things that they've learned and the successful conversations that they have had there and kind of um, gestate that and make it an internal part of their own process and their, you know, organizational mandates, I think there's a lot of real opportunity there. I mean, for me, I've been trapped in my house for three years because of my ear. I can't be out there because it'll trigger this sense of disequilibrium with certain sounds. So I've kind of gotten used to the work from home situation, but you said that often you're seeing the conversation be initiated by the client versus the partner. I'm curious your thought on that, Chris, because, you know, my thinking is, it's great if the client initiates the conversation because that means you've looped into another level with them where they trust you, you've become that trusted advisor. What if they're not looping the conversation and the partner, and this is, it doesn't matter whether it's a tech partner with a client or whatever, it's, it's a business owner wanting to talk to a business owner about their business. How do you initiate that conversation if you've never done it before and it's not being brought up with by your client? Uh, you just got to bite the bullet and go to your customer and say, look, you know, we've got a lot of change that's happened over the last couple of years. And there we need to sit down and talk about, do you hear that echo? I am not hearing an echo. Okay, good. <laughs> it's just <laughs> my end. Um, but I did just realize I didn't unplug my landline phone. So as you're answering that question, I'm going to pop off camera for a brief second. Yeah, of course. Um, so it's just a matter of sitting down and saying, 
you know, let's let's talk about what's going on. I want to make sure that I'm offering you the support that you need. Um, you know, we know that customers more and more and more are inviting these shadow apps and shadow systems within within their business that the partners really not doesn't even know about until it breaks, right? So, you know, when you're trying to do that, when customers are trying to do that, and then you know it's a surprise for the partners, that's a conversation that should have been had before it ever happened. So being able to just sit down and say, look, can I have an hour and a half of your time once a year? Then we'll just check in quarterly to make sure that we're still on track, that I'm helping you reach your goals, that, you know, I'm meeting my SLAs, that I'm meeting, you know, my customer satisfaction commitments that I've made to you. Um, let's look at the KPIs that we need to track so that we're all on the same you know, page and, um, you know, just really forcing yourself to sit down and have that conversation. And there are templates out there that can help you run this conversation. Uh, Nigel Moore over at Tech Tribe. Oh, I love Nigel. Oh, me too. Isn't he fabulous? He's absolutely amazing. And that community is something else, man. And they have an entire um, module, a, a class. You can get a certification in how to do business reviews. And so there are templates out there and, you know, resources out there that can teach you how to have these conversations, but it's just, it's like anything else. It gets easier with practice. You know, the first one's going to be hard and the second one will be a little bit easier. And then by the time you get to five or six, you're on a roll and your clients come to expect this from you. And, you know, again, checking in on those goals quarterly, making sure that they know you're, you've still got those metrics top of mind. And you still know what they're working towards. Again, it just it really increases your value to that business. And I think once you start to see that, once you identify a couple of upsell opportunities with that client, um, then obviously it becomes even easier because you're right. seeing ROI, right? <laughs> yeah. So for my listeners who might not be familiar, Chris used the word the acronym SLA, those are service level agreements, and KPI, which is key performance indicators. Some of the people don't always know, so I, I try to explain those terms that they might not be familiar with. Well, we've got so many acronyms in the channel, it's hard for me to even keep up sometimes. Well, and sometimes they mean something in a different industry, too. Yeah. Yeah. We, we get so used to it in our tech world, in the channel conversations, that we just think, okay, that's going to mean what it does. And I don't, I don't remember what it was, but I remember one time somebody threw an acronym out and I had the complete wrong idea of what they meant. And I don't even remember what it was, but I, I remember laughing internally and feeling completely embarrassed because they were so completely opposite from what I thought they were. <laughs> it's like the when I was in England for six weeks working on a project back when I worked for Pitney Bowes, I had gone shopping and because we did all the project work at night mm -hmm. and I was so excited. I got into the store and I had bought this great pair of pants and I was so excited and, you know, it was all guys and whatever that I'm working with. And there's some women and I'm like, God, and they're like, Oh, what'd you do yesterday? I'm like, Oh, I went to this great store and, and I bought these great pair of pants and they all looked at me cross-eyed <laughs> and I'm like, I don't understand. Did I say something bad? And they said, well, in, in England, pants are underwear. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't really just like talk about that and that like, well, what do you call, you know, 
pants. And, and they're like, we call them trousers or slacks or whatever. And it, it dawned on me at that moment in time about how it's important that you're using the same language to discuss things. And that vendor channel partner relationship to the client relationship, if you're not all three of you speaking the same language, it c- can create a bit of chaos and miscommunication. Have you seen that happen? Well, I mean, I think that to a certain extent, partners and their end customers are always going to speak a slightly different language. Those partners are in their industry and they're helping, you know, their customers in their industry and in their business models, which is one of the reasons why we think that it's so important for partners to go out and learn as much about that target vertical as possible so that they can have those conversations, so that they can understand what their customer's industry is is doing, what the trends that they're coming up against, um, scaling challenges, you know, that type of thing. And again, being able to have those conversations, being able to speak the same language. Um, And so being able to have that industry knowledge, and that's one of the reasons why you'll hear experts tell partners a lot that they need to verticalize, you know, really focus on two or three key verticals and really learn about those so that you're fluent in that industry lingo and you're able to have those conversations with your end customers. I don't run into that issue quite as much. Um, actually nearly as much between the vendor and the partner because they're in the same industry. They speak the same language. Right. It It's definitely become more verticalized mm-hmm. compared to where it was, you know, when I started in the tech career, when I started my tech services company, you, you tend to be a more generalist because that's what your customer needed. They needed somebody that could do soup to nuts. And then it became a, well, we really need a cyber focus or we really need a communication focus. And you used to have the telco vendors that installed all the phone systems and you had the infrastructure people. And then there were the companies that went in and out. When you started working with JS Group and your shift went from the world you were in to very much creating deeper relationships, the right deep relationships between vendors and partners and their clients. Was there any kind of mind shift that you had to think about of something that you thought was the way things are and you discovered it was not what you thought? Oh my goodness, yes. So you got to remember that for several years, I ran the MSP 501 program. My conversations, the coverage that I wrote about within Channel Futures, the um, parts of the Channel Partners events that I focused on until I became an event programmer and you know took over the whole thing for them. Um, they were all partner focused. You know, I knew about the partner frustrations. I knew about their business models. I knew about their challenges and opportunities. And so, coming over to JS Group and all of a sudden starting to work with predominantly vendors was a huge learning curve for me. <laughs> I mean, I felt like I didn't know what I was doing for months. Um, but, you know, again, it's just like anything else. You do it a few times and, you know, you you. it's not like it's a completely different um, industry. It's just a different side of the industry, right? 
Um, so slowly but surely, uh, I've caught up. But uh, but yeah, it was definitely a big shift. You know, you're talking about different cultures. You're talking about different strategic mandates. You're talking, you know, depending on the vendor. Um, you know, we work with a lot of vendors that are brand new to the channel. They've never spun up an indirect sales channel before. They have, you know, they come into the relationship thinking, you know, oh, this will be easy. (laughs) We just got to pivot a little bit. And they have no idea everything that goes into it and what a huge deal it is. And then we work with vendors that are looking to tweak their channel programs. They want to go after a different type of partner um, or they're trying to expand into a new geo or a new vertical presence. And so that's really interesting, too, um, to be able to work with them to expand their business and be able to take an existing framework and say, here's what's working and here's what isn't. And I think my relationships with partners and my expertise with partners brings me a little bit of something different because, you know, just like you, just like so many um, in this industry, when you have spent time either running an MSP or talking to MSPs all day long, every day, um, you know, you really get a sense of what the partner needs. And then when you switch over to start having those vendor conversations, you can bring that point of view, which is why I think it's so valuable when we see MSPs that have sold their business and they go over to the vendor side because they can bring that expertise. They can bring that insight into the partner business model, um, you know, better than anybody. So that's been, that's been fun too, to be able to take my experience and my knowledge base from the last, you know, several years and bring that to bear for vendors and suppliers. Have you noticed any sort of not process change, almost like a thinking change since the pandemic started between the vendor and the partner? Because, I mean, it used to be you met your new partners, you developed the relationship with the partners because they were at shows. Mm -hmm. Three or four a year, you got to hang out with them, you built a bond around the bar, um, in the hallway, at some event, you got to know them and build that relationship. Well, that's not happening now. I mean, it it started to come back and we see this in a lot of industries now, right? Trade shows, CES, the biggest yeah. consumer electronics show, the biggest names have all pulled out saying they're not going to risk putting their people in there. Have you noticed some shifts in how they're creating those conversations and building those communities and relationships now? So, you know, I think the whole world had to learn how to adjust to an environment and a paradigm where we were doing everything virtually. Um, Partners had the same challenge, right? Again, relationship business. They're used to going out and being face-to-face with their customers. Um, And then, you know, partners also at these events that you're talking about, partners get a lot of value from talking to one another. You know, yeah, vendors get a lot of value from being able to talk two partners. Um, But I think that the lack of in-person events has in a lot of ways hit partners even harder than vendors. It took us all a long time to really learn how to operate in a virtual world in the channel. Um, I think we're starting to get there, but I think too many vendors, you know, you go to these virtual events, right, which are already kind of, um, you know, you go into it with almost a sense of dread, you know, (laughs) 
<laughs> knowing that it's not going to be anything like the live in-person event. And a lot of vendors approach the virtual events in the same way. I'll sit in my virtual booth and I'll have my virtual swag and partners will just come to me, right? right. And so it's a completely different way of marketing. There's a whole lot more that has to go into your pregame. You know, you've got to be doing a lot of outreach to your partner base and your prospects weeks and weeks, months before these events. Um, and then, of course, the follow-up has to be immediate. It has to be thorough and it has to be personalized. Um, and so, you know, as we're kind of doing this going back and forth, I mean, you're seeing a lot of people in the channel on the partner side, especially um, say, you know, I recognize the risks, I'm vaccinated, I'll mask, all of that, but I have got to get back into the world and right. see my community. Um, you know, but the big companies that are pulling out, in a lot of cases, they have marketing and sales organizations that are sophisticated enough to where they can at least pivot somewhat. Um, if you're big enough to be having that type of, you know, mandate from the board or something like that where you can't travel, then you've got really sophisticated sales and marketing capabilities that can help you make that pivot. It's those mid-size vendors or the startup vendors that I think suffer the most from that. I feel like this change where you don't have as many events made the outreaches more intentional and mm -hmm. that both sides needed to understand their businesses more and their partner businesses. So like an MSP, a partner needed to understand the vendor more and all the different pieces of their product line to see, does it fit for us and for our customers and then the vendors, and this is in every industry, not just the tech industry, you had to go, well, who are the right people for us? And you had to be more intentional in the conversation. It couldn't just be a show up at a show, get a thousand names or 500 names of people interested. And then you go and just start sending them tons of information and making a thousand phone calls to see if you can onboard them. Now it becomes more intimate. Yeah. Is that what you're seeing as well? Absolutely. So we really counsel um, our clients to um, double down on social selling. So that's one of the ways that you can build relationships that you're not able to do at these in-person events. And it's not just making friends, making a connection with someone and then immediately blasting them with your you know, sales pitch. It's a process. It's a you know, process of increasing that relationship and building upon engagements and you know, not making that sales pitch immediately, but instead trying to build an actual relationship with your prospect before you get in there. Um, and that is different than in-person events where you're giving demos all day. And again, people are stopping by your booth, they're picking up your product slick and moving on to the, the next one. Um, it's, it's definitely more intentional. And this is where um, platforms like Partner Optimizer from SASMAX really, you know, we're going to sound like a commercial. <laughs> I know, but I love what they're doing. I feel like it's completely yeah, changed it's, uh, business, you know? It's really interesting and it's extremely valuable to vendors trying to, you know, 
reach new partners. Um, you know, you go through and create this profile and it's very in-depth. You know, here are the geos we want to work with. Here are the adjacent vendors that we feel that, you know, we could bundle with. Here are all of these different criteria. Um, and then Partner Optimizer can go through and pull partners that match that criteria. So you can be a little bit more intentional about who you're going after. And then when you're talking about your existing partners, again, that upsell relationship, we started seeing a lot more of that, um, you know, for example, account-based marketing, ABM is starting to become more and more prevalent where you're targeting different people within the same organization, but you're doing it with different messaging. You're doing it, you know, again, it's not just a template you're sending out. It's very intentional um, in your messaging and your value proposition. And so we're starting to see a lot more um, of that from the vendor side. And we counsel vendors to do these business reviews with their partners just as much as we counsel partners to do them with their end customers. And that's a way, you know, part of that, part of that business review process needs to be a, here's your top three mandates for this year, Mr. Partner, and here are ours. Now, how can we jointly pursue these goals together? So there is visibility on both sides. You know, here's what our product roadmap is. Here's what our, you know, coming strategy for the year is. Here's the new initiatives that we're, you know, trying to, to get momentum under. And how can the work that we're doing support the work that you're doing? And that's a really important part of the business review. I, you know, that... It was something I always instinctually did when I had my, my MSP and I do it now. I have a very different kind of business though, but that conversation with your partners, whether they're a vendor partner who you're sourcing your materials from that's providing you goods and services that you, um, that you use to help your own clients, or if it's a service that you've created that you provide to a specific client, that whole idea of mutually beneficial. It, it's not a one-sided relationship yet. I, I mean, I get clients all the time that I talk to and they're like, well, but this is what I want to do. And I go, but is that what your clients want you to do too? I, every year I would talk to my different vendors, Sonicwall. I, I used to be a big Sonicwall reseller mm-hmm. and my Rep would call me all the time and he'd say, hey, you know, we've got these different promotions going on or whatever. And one day I just said to him, how can I help you? Yeah. Do you have a goal or something you need to hit? And he and he told me and, and I was like, oh, OK, you know, I can make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> now that we've got clarity. We've got clarity. And I'm like, OK, let me you've always been so helpful to help me with my business. How can I help you? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he needed to sell so many of these 10 packs of this or whatever. And I'm like, okay, let's just make that happen, you know? And it completely changed our relationship because he, he said, nobody's ever asked me mm-hmm. if I have goals or whatever. Me, 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 me. And it, I, I love that you said that, Chris, because I think it's so critical for each side to understand each other's motivations. Exactly. You know, you want to be sure that your businesses are able to grow together, that you've got, um, if not similar, then at least aligned goals and strategic mandates in your roadmap. 
And only when you identify those opportunities are you able to really jump on a situation or a conversation that can help you both grow. And that's where the real passion comes in, right? So if you know you as a vendor are trying to expand into healthcare and so is a partner, then all of a sudden you've got a joint strategic mandate that you can work towards together. It deepens that relationship um, and it, it deepens the commitment from both sides of that business relationship. And so I think it's a really important conversation to have. You've got to be clear on where your vendors want to go. You've got to be clear on where your partners want to go to make sure that it's a relationship that even still makes sense because sometimes it might not. But how are you going to get insight into you know, where your vendor is going to be or where your partner is going to be within the next one to three years, three to five years. And does that relationship still make sense? Or are we just spinning our wheels here? Um, You know, it's, again, it's a conversation that really needs to happen and doesn't happen nearly enough on either side. When you have more of those conversations, have you found with JS Group and all the great work that you guys do there for building those relationships at all levels of the spectrum, have you seen less of the abrupt 180s happening where maybe uh, a partner drops a vendor or a vendor drops a partner or a partner losing some clients when they're doing more of these business reviews or no difference? Um, Have I seen, have I seen the business reviews results in fewer customers? Fewer loss of customers or fewer fewer loss loss of partners. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people, it's an old trite saying because it's true. People do business with people they like. And so, you know, when you're able to deepen that relationship and stay top of mind for your clients, then, I mean, that's a win, right? That's an opportunity right there for that upsell and cross-sell conversation. That's an opportunity to help your, your customers figure out where they can expand into and get new customers of their own, whether that's, you know, vendors talking to partners or partners talking to their clients. Um, and, you know, the, the more you help your client's business grow, the more opportunity that you have within right. that business to make money. Um, so, you know, really sitting down, having these conversations and being genuinely helpful to the other person that you're talking about, the other organization you're talking about, well, that just deepens that relationship. It deepens that loyalty and increases that stickiness. And it really does move the needle. It really does have, you know, real world results in terms of how valuable these relationships all of a sudden are. They're not just transactional anymore. They are, again, based on value, not just on price or products and features, you know, these product slicks. Um, We counsel a lot of our vendors. You'll see, and it's a big complaint from partners, um, you'll see a lot of vendors, for example, putting out marketing collateral designed to talk at partners when what partners really need is marketing enablement, sales enablement that helps them talk to their customers. And <laughs> yeah. that sounds Don't so sell simple. me, help me sell them. It sounds so simple and so intuitive, but you know, we we get in this, we get in these ruts, these sales ruts of, you know, just kind of doing it the way that we've always done it. And, you know, things are starting to change now. And, you know, you really see a lot of vendors 
making determined efforts to help their partners sell instead of making determined efforts to get more partners. Okay. And that really, again, it moves the needle. And it's going broad, they're going deep. It changed, well, yeah, it changes the nature of of your business. It changes the nature of your program. It changes, you know, the requirements and benefits that maybe your program has for different tiers. It changes compensation models. It changes all kinds of things when your focus all of a sudden becomes on helping that customer um, succeed instead of helping yourself increase revenues. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, right? When you take the focus off yourself, but are very clear about your your business, your goals. Um, I love the dogs walking around. Anybody listening to this on the podcast, you have to go watch the video version of the yeah. podcast because, oh my gosh, the pups are just so awesome. My office mates. <laughs> it's the best. The, the, your white pup at one point got up and just stretched in the chair and then turned around. It's like, oh, don't we all want that life? <laughs> and I, I totally lost my train of thought there on that, that part of the conversation. Let me, let me ask you something that I've, I've wanted to ask another woman because this has come up with several of my friends and clients. They are beginning to think that they're not able to grow their businesses enough because they care too much about the relationship they've built. Like they don't keep it at just a business communication. They actually get to know the individuals and they feel as if their clients are their friends and then something changes for no reason that they can think of and that client has left or they feel ghosted or whatever it is from your perspective, Chris, being in an in industry for a really long time, being a woman in the industry and knowing a lot of men in industry, ha- what's your thought on that? Can you ever get too close? Do you have to keep a line between business and a personal relationship you know, like where you invite people to parties or, or whatever? Um, you know, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure I've ever sat down and really thought about that. I think it makes, um, it definitely makes more of an impact when it's partners talking to their customers. I think when you start to, um, to as you put it, cross that line into a more personal relationship, then all of a sudden what you're doing is kind of bleeding bleeding revenue before it can turn into profit because all of a sudden now you're spending more time servicing this customer. Maybe you're not focusing as much on their business mandates as you should be. Um, and you know, you, you kind of feel there's a, especially with smaller MSPs, there's a situation that tends to happen, um, where partners will sign on a client and the client will just say, here, handle everything. And or say, okay, and they don't set out those metrics. They don't outline how exactly this business relationship is going to work and exactly what services they're going to be providing, how many hours, to what depth. And so when you start getting into the situation where you're friends and all of a sudden someone calls you up on your personal cell phone with a problem that maybe isn't even covered in your contract or your SLA, and then you're helping them troubleshoot there, you know, that can really bleed a lot of hours that you could be charging another client for. Um, As far as 
people leaving because of a deeper personal relationship. I mean, I don't know, unless you really make some sort of gaffe and, you know, get drunk in front of your customer or something like that. Um, I haven't seen that. Um, and I think that it's actually in the channel again, it's a relationship business. So on a certain level, you have to have that friendship. You have to be able to know, you know, what's going on, not just in the business, but, you know, what's the name of your kids and, you know, tell so-and-so hi for me, that type of thing. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's a relationship business. And I think for the most part, being able to develop those closer, you know, at least slightly more personal relationships is just going to serve you in the channel. Yeah, you know, when these two people uh, approach me, and it's actually been several more than that, it always seems to be a woman that feels that, do we need to create more of a line? Could we have grown our business more if we weren't as nice, not as friendly, didn't build a deeper personal kind of relationship? And, you know, I just wondered, because... I never hear men having that conversation. They they never talk about it, but it might be happening, but they never talk about it. I mean, I'd love for my listeners to, um, you know, shoot out on social media to me for the show, email, whatever, you know, their thoughts on this. But I'm just, it's, it's an interesting conversation. Is there a line at some point where, and I hate this phrase, it's business, not personal, but since relationships are a lot about what we've been talking about, where do you draw a line, Chris? And can it, being too close to your clients, can it cause um, lack of growth because you're focused on that relationship versus the business? I don't know. The people that brought it up are people that I respect incredibly in business who have incredibly successful businesses, but they're wondering if they could have grown it bigger if they didn't get so close. Does that you know, make sense where I'm going with that? Yeah. You know, I think there's always a line, even between employer and employee, you know, you can have those personal relationships. You can know what's going on in your, you know, employee's life and do the happy hours, you know, things like that. But at the end of the day, it is a business relationship and you've got to be able to draw those lines and you've got to be able to also stand up and be able to tell your customer that they're wrong. And in a lot of times, you know, that's, that's actually a way to grow that business relationship, right? You know, so mm -hmm. I know you think that this is what you need, but, you know, let me tell you that my expertise will, will tell me that that's not what you need. You actually need this over here. And that might be a more difficult conversation to have when you've got a friendship instead of a business relationship. Um, it might feel more personal to the customer when, for example, you raise your prices at the end of the contract. Right. Um, you know, maybe your customer is taking things more personally than they need to because of the nature of that relationship. I think that um, maybe this isn't a problem that's exclusive to women, but maybe it is something that's more prevalent among women. Um, we do tend to communicate and connect with people on a more, I don't want to say emotional, but um, a more... Um, 
a more interested, compassionate, as far as personal things go, um, manner than a lot of men do. And that actually, in my experience, has served me and a lot of women that I've spoken with very well. Um, because they're able to be a little bit more empathetic, um, a little bit more, um, a little bit more in tune with their employees or their customers, mm -hmm. people. Um, you know, you are able to have freer conversations, and you know, you've got this level of trust that you've established that really helps um, helps that relationship grow. So, I think in more cases, I have seen it be beneficial to um, a relationship than I have seen it be a disadvantage. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, we don't have enough time to go deep into the conversation, but uh, it's just something that was on my mind. I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm just going to ask Chris because <laughs> this is the perfect time to ask this question and ask the listeners to sort of get way in on it as well when they listen to the show to, to reach out. All social media, the Laura Stewart is how they can find me. Uh, how can Chris people reach out to you or if they want to engage with JS group, talk to you about different things that they've got going on in their, their businesses, or just, they have a question about something you said. Sure. You can always reach out to me on LinkedIn or um, my email address is Chris at jsgnow.com. And JSG Now is our website, so you can always find more information there and click on the Contact Us um, link there. But always feel free to reach out to me. I get emails from partners all the time just wanting to talk about industry trends and you know maybe get a little bit of, of advice. And Janet's really good about that, too. Uh, reaching out to Janet and just saying, hey, do you have 15, 30 minutes where you can sit down and just kind of chat with me about what some of my challenges are? Um, she's really good about doing that as well. It's a way not only for us to give back to the channel community, but for us to continue to learn about what are those challenges? What are those opportunities that people are wanting you know, a little bit of help with? So we're always open for a conversation. And I love following you and, and Janet and the rest of the team at JS Group on LinkedIn and social because you post such amazing content <laughs> that I find really useful at all levels of a business, whether it's somebody in the tech business or a non-tech business. I, I just feel like there's so much great content there. Yeah, we're pretty prolific readers over here, always sharing articles and, uh, you know, hey, did you read about this or that? Yeah. So you're posting really content. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm so glad we finally got to have an in-depth conversation, you and I, after all the years we've seen each other in and out of the industry. It's long overdue. And it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. This was fun. It was really great. And thanks for letting the dogs hang out. <laughs> it's always so soothing just having a dog just enjoying the spot of sunshine in the back, you know? There's something warm. Yeah, there's something we need to just take from that about how somebody, a, a pup, can just soothe and be soothed at all at the same time. So thank you. Thank you so much, Chris. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and read anything you're doing. And I'm glad that we've deepened our um, relationship by today. Thanks a lot. 
All right, everybody, I want to thank Chris for being on the show. I hope you gained a lot from our conversation. I know there was a lot about, you know, vendors and channel and partners, but there's so much in what Chris was saying to unpack about building relationships, right? And the business reviews, doing them with your customers. If you don't have, say, the names of your customers, put some stuff out on social, find out what people are doing, who's buying your products, start building your own list so that you can engage with your customers, because it is all about those relationships and helping your clients and your vendor partners meet their goals. Because if you can do that, you're going to meet your goals even more, but you need to know what they are. So I want to thank everybody for being here today. Remember, the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? Have a great day, everyone, and welcome to 2022. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.